a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Glad you could come and revel in wrong think. Want to mention that we have some great sponsors who make this program possible. They include lifesavingfood.com, also monticellocollege.org, and our, also our friends at the uh, Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George. Thank you so much for joining us today. I, You know, my heart's a little bit heavy today. And I think I want to get this out of the way right up front. Um, I, I talk a lot about personal freedom. It's something that actually matters to me and actually has for a long time. If you've been a long-time listener, you know that. And there are many warning signs that have popped up over the years. Hey, we are headed in a direction where personal freedom, things like your personal liberty, your freedom of conscience, your freedom of association, your private property rights, uh, the principles on which free markets operate, all of these things have been under threat and been whittled away at little by little over the years. And I've been one of many voices out there, you know, pointing this out. Hey, are we sure we want to go there? Is this, is this the direction we want to go? And it's absolutely stunning to see so much of, of what has been warned about starting to fall into place, as in it's becoming just a part of normal life, and the crazy part is so many people are just accepting it. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that uh, one of the things that that, uh, that appears to be happening is that uh, the, the people who run the systems that wish to rule our lives, it's not just government. You see this in corporate America. You'll see it sometimes within organized religion. You'll see it in other areas. But the systems that seek to rule us are very quickly consolidating control. And I don't know if there's, you know, collusion and there's help between them. All I know is there's almost nowhere you can turn right now where someone isn't trying to exercise some kind of authority over you, over your ability to think, speak, act, make a living, whatever it is. And one of the most vivid examples of this is this absolutely obsessive push for everyone must be vaccinated. To hear the government uh, authorities, you know, who are talking about this, Dr. Fauci, right on down the line. I mean, it's, they're losing patience. You would think they were talking to a pet, you know, right? How many times have I told you not to piddle on the floor? And they've got a rolled up newspaper. They want to whack us on the nose with it or rub our noses on the carpet. I don't know. They do not behave like people who are working within a government that's job is to serve the people that it represents to guarantee and protect their God-given rights. Instead, they become, well, order givers, heel clickers, people that just, we want your compliance and, and we will settle for nothing less. And this came home for me yesterday when uh, my daughter reached out to me and she said, well, I've, I've made my appointment to get the vaccine. And she has fought a very valiant battle. Um, she is a nursing student. She is, uh, she's a brilliant young lady. She's been a CNA for a couple of years now. 
and and actually, by coincidence, has spent most of that time working within the intensive care unit, particularly working within the COVID unit during this this pandemic. So she's no stranger. It's not like she's, you know, totally unfamiliar with some of the risks. She's seen plenty of what COVID can and cannot do. But she has successfully been able to avoid having to take the jab up until yesterday. And it's because uh, her, her job is demanding it, or at least they're, they're putting a lot of pressure on it. But more importantly, it's her schooling. She cannot continue with her training to become a registered nurse without getting the jab. And so yesterday she rolled up her sleeve and got the jab. And I feel kind of bad. I, I don't think I was leaning on her too much. You know, now don't ever do this. Don't ever, you know, she can make up her own mind. I've raised some independent thinking kids, and I'm really proud of them for being independent thinking. But uh, what uh, what happened was my daughter came to a crossroads. And like a lot of people, found herself backed into a corner where it's like, look, if you want to pursue this career or if you want to continue on in this particular vocation, you're going to have to uh, bend the knee and take the vaccine. And I know for some people, it's like, well, good, finally, she submitted. They, they act like it's a good thing to get someone to go against what their conscience is telling them, which includes the presumption that, well, the, the crowd knows what's best or I know what's best for you. So it's a good thing. And by the way, if, if she hadn't and she lost her job or she was kicked out of her schooling, well, that would have been a good thing, too. I can't understand people who celebrate those kind of things. I, it takes a very small soul to to take delight in another person being backed into a corner and then either crushed or, you know, just forced to submit. That's a really sadistic mindset. But, hey, you know, you do you, I'm going to do me. But I just felt bad. My daughter said, you know, she says, when I showed up to, to get the jab, there, there are a couple things she pointed out, and I just want to share these with you. I, I'm not telling you, don't ever get the jab. I'm just saying the coercion is what makes this so questionable to reasonable people. You don't have to be a wild-eyed, you know, spittle-flinging conspiracy theorist in order to, to wonder, is this really a good way to go? My daughter pointed out to me, she said she was very emotional when she went to get the shot. And, and it's because this is something that she has put a great deal of effort into resisting. And she has taken a lot of time to become informed. She had very legitimate questions about uh, whether the vaccine is right. We're going to talk about this actually later in the show. Um, even the mainstream media is finally starting to question, hey, is this thing working like it's supposed to? Because there's a lot of breakthrough, uh, you know, infections going on. And now they're talking boosters. I mean, what did we just turn our immune systems into a subscription service where we're going to have to pay to keep our subscription up if we want to stay alive? Scary stuff. But as she went in to, to get the shot, she said she was trying to keep her emotions in check because uh, it was it was very upsetting. There was someone in line behind her. I believe it was an EMT. And this was the first thing she pointed out as she said, I felt better when I got in there because the EMT who was right behind me in line, I could see he was struggling with his emotions too. And that doesn't mean this guy was sitting there weeping into a handkerchief. He was pissed. He was angry. She says you could see it in the set of his jaw that he was being forced to do something he didn't want to do as well. 
Now, I know the easy answer is, well, these people are just ignorant. They don't know what to do. And someone who knows better, you know, their master needs to tell the pet, go over here, sit, stay, stay. Good boy. Good girl. Which brings me to the next point. Once she got the shot, I don't know if this is common practice. You'll have to tell me if you, <laughs> if this is what, what you've experienced. But she says the, the nurses and the, the people who were there running, you know, the vaccine clinic gave this little, hooray, you're a hero. Here's your reward. I think she got a piece of candy or something like that. I mean, all it costs you is, you know, just you have to act against your conscience. But yay, you did it. That seems so patronizing and, and so condescending and just wrong. And, and you know what it reminds me of? I'm sorry. I'm, as long as I'm stepping on toes, let me just go ahead and you know put on my tap shoes and let's, let's get this over with. It reminds me of the last multi-level marketing <laughs> event that I attended. And I went there with the best of intentions thinking, you know, I like the product that these guys are selling. Um, I'm okay with being a customer. I may be even okay with asking a few people, hey, do you want to know more about this? But I went to a meeting, and it was like the scales fell off my eyes as I recognized there, there was a formula to the way things were being done. There was, you know, the walk-on music that got people hyped up. There was, you know, getting us pumped up with music. Every time someone at this multi-level marketing meeting mentioned money, there was this reflexive, yeah, cheering and clapping, money, money. And that was when it clicked for me that this is something I cannot be a part of. I just can't do it. I'm not saying you're bad if you do. But for me, that was the moment I realized I'm, I'm out of my element and I, and I just can't do it. Because it seemed like we, we had to get ourselves ginned up and, you know, rawr, this is so great. That's the same kind of vibe that these nurses were putting off at this vaccine clinic. You got the jab. You're a hero. Yay. I don't know what the price is for each person, you know, to to stick to their conscience or just say, well, you know, in the interest of uh, living my life and going along to get along, I'm going to have to do this. But it sickens me and it saddens me that my daughter was put into a situation like this. I'm not condemning her, and I'm not going to condemn anybody who decides this is something I've got to do. The pressure is on, and it's very intense. And for some people, this really is a matter of, you know, you if you want to make a living. I mean, Delta is fining their employees who are unvaccinated $200 a month. That'll teach them. Anyway, thanks for letting me get that off my chest. we got some other great stuff ahead. Please stay close. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right. Thank you for sticking around to the second segment. <laughs> That's always a good sign. You didn't just roll your eyes and moving on. <laughs> By the way, my show is brought to you by great sponsors like LifesavingFood.com. There is a link in the show notes, which you can find at the BrianHydeShow.com. If you click on that link, it'll take you to the website for Life Saving Foods. I know you probably are clued into uh, to food storage, and, and maybe you already have a really great program that's uh, you know got you feeling peace of mind. Fantastic. Maybe you know someone who's just getting started, just starting to realize, hey, you know, maybe this would be a good idea to have some reserves just in case. 
you will find packages of every description to fit any budget. And here's the best part. This food has a 25-year shelf life, so it's not like, yeah, it'll be, you better use it quickly or it's going to be bad. You, you store it correctly, cool, dry place. This stuff will last you for 25 years. And here's the best part. When you decide on what is right for you and you make the purchase, put in coupon code HYDE, H-Y-D-E. They'll take 10% off your purchase price. So politicians and other power seekers seem very intent right now to make school children wear masks. It's been interesting to watch this, hasn't it? I mean, it's, it's a move that... Uh, isn't necessarily supported by the science, however. Saw a great article from John Miltimore from the Foundation for Economic Education. CDC, schools with mask mandates didn't see statistically significant different rates of COVID transmission from schools with optional policies. The subtitle, the CDC did not include its finding that, the, that required mask use among students was not statistically significant compared with schools where mask use was optional. In the summary of a recent report, this was just published yesterday. John Miltimore says the ACLU on Tuesday announced it's bringing a lawsuit against South Carolina over its mask policy. Just as an aside, does anybody remember the days when the ACLU actually stood for freedom instead of stood for whatever mandates, uh, you know, fit its particular flavor of authoritarianism? Kind of sad. They've they've definitely strayed from their mission. Well, South Carolina apparently is one of seven states, along with Texas, Iowa, Oklahoma, Arizona, Utah and Florida, that all have policies in place banning schools from having mask policies. Thirteen states, meanwhile, have laws that mandate masks in school. The majority of states allow the school districts to determine their own mask policies. Now, the ACLU said, we're suing to end South Carolina's ban on mask requirements in schools with disability rights South Carolina, able South Carolina, and parents. They said students with disabilities are effectively being excluded from public schools because of this ban. Courts must intervene. Now, John Miltimore says the ACLU's action is the latest salvo in a battle over a question that divides America. Should schools be able to compel children to wear face coverings in school? Because there is some new science on the masks. And with fall approaching, John Miltimore says many Americans are wondering whether they should send their children to school with a mask or if they'll even have a choice. A recent New York Magazine article states that the science on masks remains uncertain. Well, that's reassuring, but they noted the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, back in May, published a large-scale study of COVID transmission in U.S. schools. Now, this study analyzed some 90,000 elementary students in 169 Georgia schools from November 16th to December 11th. What this study found was that there was no statistically significant difference in schools that required students to wear masks compared to schools where masks were optional. In fact, the CDC said the 21% lower incidence in schools that required mask use among the students was not statistically significant compared with schools where the mask use was optional. This finding might be attributed to higher effectiveness of masks among adults who were at higher risk from SARS-CoV-2 infection, but it might also result from differences in mask-wearing behavior among students in schools with optional requirements. Now, as New York Magazine's David Zweig noted, These findings, as well as other statistically insignificant preventative measures, cast doubt 
on the impact of many of the most common mitigation measures in American schools. Okay, let me step out of the article here for a moment and just ask you, do you remember what it was like? As some kids were able to go back to school last fall, do you remember the partitions and the social distancing and only this many can go to lunch and you have to all sit over here or over here and you can't be close to each other? Masks everywhere. It was a nightmare. Psychologically, I think this was really tough on the kids. And I have at least one friend who taught, uh, this was last summer when when the uh, pandemic was really, you know, starting to take off. He taught at a private school and found that uh, the masks just simply didn't work in the sense that kids would not keep them on. If they were trying to talk to you and you were like, I'm sorry, what did you say? Because it's hard to understand someone with a mask. You can't read their facial expressions as well. You can't see what they are saying. If, if you know, I'm not saying you're a lip reader, but you know, to, to be able to see a person forming the words sometimes helps provide context or helps you understand what they're saying. And if someone was having trouble, they just pull their mask down. I said, you know, whatever. But there's that lust for control. But if we say that this is the way it has to be, then this is how it has to be. That one-size-fits-all, top-down solution that's so common among bureaucracies. Back to the article, John Miltimore says the CDC's findings on masks and other preventative measures would not be particularly noteworthy or even controversial outside the U.S., As New York Magazine noted, many European nations have exempted students from mask mandates. Now, that includes the U.K., that includes all of Scandinavia, the Netherlands, Switzerland, even France and Italy, though with varying age cutoffs, and the results have not been dire. David Zwig says, conspicuously, there's no evidence of more outbreaks in schools in those countries relative to schools in the U.S. where the solid majority of kids wore masks for an entire academic year and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. He says these countries, along with the World Health Organization, whose child masking guidance differs substantially from the CDC's recommendations, have explicitly recognized that the decision to mask students carries with it potential academic and social harms for children and may lack a clear benefit. Now, these findings in the U.S., says John Miltimore, are another matter. Masks have been one of the most polarizing issues in the country during the pandemic. Perhaps because U.S. policy is whipsawed back and forth, and Americans remain bitterly divided on the issue. Careers have been ruined, there have been messy retractions, endorsements lost. In particular, the CDC's findings are not helpful to politicians and bureaucrats who continue to argue students must be masked during school. Dr. Fauci, in a recent panel discussion streamed online, said, whether students are vaccinated or not, they need to wear a mask. Boy, there's some incentive to go get the vaccine, right? And you're still going to have to wear the mask. Okay. So much for that get-out-of-jail-free card that so many were hoping it would be. For this reason or some other, John Miltmore says, the CDC determined not to include its finding that required mask use among students was not statistically significant compared with schools where mask use was optional. That's their words in the summary of its report, which has received very little media attention to date. Meanwhile, the mask wars are heating up. The Biden administration recently directed Education Secretary Miguel Cardona to employ all of his oversight authorities and legal actions against governors preventing schools from passing mask mandates. Cardona acted swiftly. 
The education secretary wrote in a public letter, these states are needlessly placing students, families, and educators at risk. Yet in each of these states, there are also educators and others who are taking steps to protect the health and safety of their school communities. Really? You know, we're going to come back to this article in just a moment. I'm going to leave you with a thought, though, as we go to break. I think the masks, and I, I felt this from the very beginning, <clears throat> I think the masks are much more about an outward badge of compliance. And I think they're very reassuring to some people, particularly to people in authority who want to know, how much can I get away with? How far can I push these people and they'll still obey? As long as you got a mask on your face, they know they can count on you to do as they tell you. Now, I could be wrong, but that's the interpretation that I have, and I'm going to stick with it for now. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back sharing an article here from John Miltimore from the Foundation for Economic Education on how the schools with mask mandates did not see statistically significant different rates of COVID transmission from those schools with optional policies. Now, that's the CDC that's reporting this. This is not just, oh, who told you that, WorldNet Daily or what? Nope, this is this is from the CDC itself. But it's hard to even trust the CDC sometimes because they seem to, to change, you know, wet their finger and stick it up. Which way is the wind blowing? Okay, masks. Yes, definitely masks. When last week they were saying, no, 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 you can take them off. It's, it's not important. I'm sure that there are many doing the best they can. But this raises some really interesting questions. And it's totally, this is a good thing for people to be asking questions as opposed to just clicking their heels and, and obeying whatever someone in an authority position is telling them. John Miltimore says the CDC's findings are hardly the only research on the issue of masks and COVID transmission, and this study that he's citing will not be the final word, in large part because masks are too politically divisive to allow either side to win. But the question is why? He says the economist Ludwig von Mises noted many years ago that a great deal of modern social conflict stems from a struggle over who gets to design the world, public authorities or individuals. This goes back to the collective versus the individual thing we were talking about yesterday. Masks are no different, says Miltimore. By removing this decision from the individual, public health officials turned masks into a political conflict. Masks are no longer simply a matter of individual or public health. He says, bear in mind, children face a low risk of falling sick or being hospitalized with COVID, either with or without a face mask. Small children are far more likely to die of the flu, a car accident, a swimming pool, cancer, or some other ailment than COVID-19. Again, that's according to CDC data. The battle of school mask mandates has now become a political conflict, part of a larger struggle between the individual and collectivism. Ayn Rand once observed, collectivism means the subjugation of the individual to a group, whether to a race, class, or state, does not matter. She said, collectivism holds that man must be chained to collective action and collective thought for the sake of what is called the common good. 
In modern America, the common good now means using any means necessary to coerce individuals to get vaccinated and wear masks, including government coercion and public shame in various forms. The health of the collective, both literal and figurative, demands it. And that is unhealthy, some say, and potentially dangerous. Martin Koldorf, a professor at Harvard Medical School who studies infectious diseases, recently observed that the way we're treating the spread of COVID-19 is unique compared to other pandemics throughout human history. On Twitter, Koldorf said, For thousands of years, disease pathogens have spread from person to person. Never before have carriers been blamed for infecting the next sick person. That is a very dangerous ideology. And John Miltimore says, indeed it is. Whether masks promote health is unclear. Many Europeans without mask mandates have far lower COVID mortality rates than the U.S. But what is far more certain in light of the lessons of history is that a healthy society is one that empowers individuals with choice and freedom. If you have not uh, visited the Foundation for Economic Education, that's fee.org. Can I recommend maybe take a look at what they have to offer? Subscribe to their daily emails. There's a wealth of information that comes your way every day right to your inbox. You don't have to read every article, but they will definitely give you some nourishing food for thought. And John Miltimore is one of their best writers. He's the managing editor at Fee. But he has been one of the most reliable sources I've found in covering COVID. And he's not an ideologue. He's not a monomaniac who's just, you know, this is bad, this is bad. He he really crunches the numbers. He really does the research. He backs it up by sourcing and linking to the studies that he is using. I only point this out because it's tough to find voices that you can trust that will just give you facts and let you draw the conclusions and make of it what you will. But I definitely would recommend John as one of those individuals. You know... It's overconfidence in science that has been causing a lot of people to put so much trust in what people in authority are telling them. There's an article, this is also from the Foundation for Economic Education, Kai Weiss explains how this is a quirk of human nature that was pointed out a long time ago, 40 years ago. Hayek said something about uh, how when we abandon reason, when we put too much trust in science, it could lead us right into the clutches of collectivism. Kai Weiss says, the science says. That's a phrase that's become one of the most popular mottos in the popular discourse of our day. Science, with hard facts and without fallacies or error, has become a knockout argument for any policy discussion. When science says something, we should immediately end our debate, regardless of whether the point of discussion is the coronavirus, climate change, or some other economic policy. The science has spoken. I don't know. Hold for the reverent pause. (laughs) Kai Weiss says, how far this sentiment extends in our modern societies is apparent. He says, take the example of Joe Biden, who campaigned in 2020 on phrases such as, listen to the science, or I believe in science. But as Nobel Prize winning economist F.A. Hayek made clear, this supremacy of scientific inquiry is not only misguided, but is in fact also a perversion of what science's actual purpose is. It's science gone off the rails. Undoubtedly, the scientific revolution has brought us many great advances and has been a key driver in the material, technological, and medicinal progress that we've seen not only in the last decades and centuries, but even millennia. 
And we've seen this play out once more in the last year as scientists have independently developed multiple effective vaccines in an incredibly short amount of time. It's been a key driver, too, for accumulating even more knowledge about the world and universe we live in. He says it would be preposterous to deny this, to deny this rather, and it would be equally preposterous if we were to dismiss the work scientists are doing. Scientists are, of course, not infallible, no human is, but science has rightfully played a significant role in our world. More so, Hayek called the marvelous growth of science perhaps the greatest result of this unchaining of individual energies, which we have witnessed since the industrialization. And yet science can never say what could be politically desirable. It can show us what is and what would happen under different circumstances, but it can never tell us what we ought to do, what goals we may have in mind, how we should weigh different trade-offs. For instance, science may tell us that we will be faced with future challenges due to global warming, and yet this is no argument for green new deals. Science may tell us that coronavirus is a pandemic we should take seriously for our own health's sake. And yet this is no argument for locking down all of public life. Finally, one might add economic science may tell us that minimum wages lead to unemployment or rent control leads to housing shortages. And yet this, in and of itself, is no argument against minimum wages and rent control. Even though there are many good reasons such measures should be opposed. As Hayek saw with dismay, a certain scientific hubris has come into being over the last centuries. Science, we think today, can tell us everything in the world, and we should always rationally follow the lessons we receive from experts. Science has become an all-encompassing principle, one whose role is practically limitless and all-powerful. Indeed, science almost becomes a sort of demigod. See also Joe Biden's call to believe in science as though it were a matter of faith. And since science is always conducted by man, man, or at least some men, becomes all-powerful and limitless too. Kai Weiss says putting these all-knowing men in charge of society would be the logical consequence. A government assembled by experts, those who already know everything, and if they don't, they could simply conduct new research on the basis of reason, would be able to guide our society and our economy to perfection. But as Hayek warns in Law, Legislation, and Liberty, it is precisely this overconfidence which has encouraged arguments for technocratic governance. For the chief reason why modern man has become so unwilling to admit that the constitutional limitations on his knowledge form a permanent barrier to the possibility of a rational construction of the whole of society is his unbounded confidence in the powers of science. One of the great successes of science has not only, out of the great successes of science, has not only arisen pride without limits, but also an abuse and decline of reason itself. One of the main reasons for this is the assumption that simply because the scientific method has been a success in the natural sciences, we could use the same methods in the social world. If we're able to conduct experiments and plan our scientific research to its minutest details, well, then it would be easy to guide society, the economy, and individuals as well. This scientism, this ideological and religious deference to science ignores one crucial point. Contrary to the natural sciences, society is made up of actual self-determined human beings whose behavior can't be predicted or planned like atoms, molecules, or amoebas. 
It indeed ignores the fact that humans have a free will, which the natural world doesn't have. We'll come back to this in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Want to give a quick shout out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Their offices are located in St. George, 619 South Bluff Street. You can call 435-703-4522. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. And yes, Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. So I'm sharing this article here from Kai Weiss. This is from the Foundation for Economic Education. And a 40-year-old warning on how humanity's unbound confidence in science can undermine reason and lead to collectivism. My friend, we are there. We, we are in that place today where, you know, follow the science, believe in the science has become the mantra for get in line with what our scientific experts are telling you. Never mind that they are now attached to a politicized agenda. Just do what they say and everything will be great. In the article, Kai Wee says the social sciences are, as Hayek writes in his most notable critique of scientism in the counter-revolution of science, Concerned with man's conscious or reflected actions, actions where a person can be said to choose between various courses open to him. Here, the situation is essentially different to the natural world. If we tried to explain it through the latter methods, we would confine ourselves to less than we know about the situation. Ironically, despite ever-increasing available scientific data and information, we may know even less about the human person and behavior. This false theory of science and rationality in which reason is abused should not be underestimated, for it could and has led to outright error and indeed collectivism. Kai Weiss says, if politicians, with the help of the experts who are engaged in the science, think they always have a ready-made technique at hand, as if one needed to follow some cooking recipes to solve all social problems, He says the opportunities for government action and interventions would be practically limitless. He says this has to ring particularly true at a time when health experts have been enabled to build a hopefully only temporary COVID authoritarian regime. And by the way, there's a link in the article here to a a tweet. Australia on the lookout for COVID-19 super spreaders. We're going to talk more in the next hour about Australia. What's happening there is it's more surreal than Mad Max. I mean, that was a good fictional dystopian story. The real life dystopia that is Australia right now, that's far more chilling. Because there there's some very serious um, accumulation of power, consolidation of power. And uh, it's it's well, you'll hear you'll hear there's there's some some really wonky stuff going on. Kai Wee says, indeed, all of our policy world has been built in the last year on the voice of science, on the insights made by epidemiologists, who often as they themselves would probably admit, particularly when it comes to the early stages of the pandemic, were clueless about what was happening. 
When decisions were to be made on new restrictions or mandates or whether we could reclaim our ultimately constitutionally guaranteed rights, well, that was for the experts to make the decision. And the result has been more than a year of restrictions that none of us could ever have imagined. He says, we obviously don't know what Hayek would have said had he lived through the COVID pandemic. But the crisis is a prime example of the warnings he already made several decades ago where he warned of elevating science beyond its purpose. One might say in the end that Hayek would probably have taken great value in the findings of Dr. Anthony Fauci and his colleagues all around the world. But the decision on what the government does or should not have or should or not rather should have never been in the hands of these specialized experts. So Kai Weiss says, perhaps then, by not indulging in the pretense of scientific knowledge, we would put the individual and his or her freedoms and dignity at the center again. That's pretty cool stuff. Now I'm going to share with you something really subversive. Are you ready for this? This is the most radical thing you're going to hear today. It's an article from Alan Stevo, and it's titled, Do This Before Backing Down to a Cop. I know, that sounds pretty subversive, but I want you to hear what he has to say. He has a reader who attended a school board meeting to, uh, to, that was on the subject of masks for school children. And this reader said, Dear Alan, I apologize for jumping off topic, but I have a concern about last evening's rally. He says, uh, The organizers of the rally were asked to take down their sign. We, those concerned community members, staff, and students that are asked to stand up against and educate others about issues that concern us, concern us rather, witnessed compliance instead of standing up. And this email writer says, we can't do both. We either stand up to all the indoctrination or we back down and cease to be heard. And this person says, I'm disappointed in myself for not speaking up at the time. I surely don't know all the ins and outs of purposeful protest. I want to do more. I want to be more effective. Any words of wisdom from you will be greatly appreciated. And so Alan Stevo says, look, every time a police officer or any other person tells you to stop exercising your freedoms, he says, I find it helpful to do a full cost benefit analysis. It helps you to more clearly see all of your options before making a decision. So these are the tools he recommends that could have been put to use. These are questions for anyone trying to give you an ultimatum. He says, organizers probably not did not say the words to the police. What will happen if I don't take it down? In fact, they probably didn't say to the police, will you issue me a citation or will you arrest me? He says, by the way, it's probably former to, uh, they're probably better to use the former. Will you issue me a citation rather than the latter? Uh, save that for deeper in the conversation. He says, organizers probably did not ask, how much will the ticket be for? They didn't ask, which law passed by the state legislator or legislature or city ordinance will you use to fine me? And after having that law cited to them, they probably didn't say, would you give me a moment to look that law up and familiarize myself with it? If threatened with arrest, the organizers probably did not say to the police, what will you arrest me for? They probably didn't ask, do you think the DA will prosecute me for that? They probably didn't ask, when's the last time a judge in this county convicted someone for that? His point is, if you stay calm and friendly, you can get a lot of information from a police officer after they say words to the effect of stop doing that or else. If you stay calm, you can get a lot of information that can help you make a decision. Now, he says you can also probably imagine this same concept could be used in other situations not involving law enforcement. 
It's basically seeking to fully understand all available options open to you. So when face masking is is ordered of you, he says, I recommend getting a hold of a policy and invoking an exemption. This is one path to an open and honest conversation using the contrived pathways you might need to use to communicate with the corporate Borg. In fact, he says, "I, I recommend this because I do it and it works. It works even better if you have a person or two or three next to you watching this calm exchange take place. He says, I know it works because that's how I talk to anyone who tries to tell me what to do, including police, highway patrol, and sheriff's deputies. I want to know what the unspoken or else is. And because so few people ever have this conversation with officers, they sometimes push those or else commands quickly. So it's important for anyone who seeks to live free to be comfortable asking such questions to define the or else statement rather than complying and walking away to complain about it for the next five years to anyone who will listen. Some people do that, but he says, don't be that person. Every time you walk out of your house, resolve to live a free and admirable existence in the outside world. Now, this is very hard for you to do if you say, yes, master, every time someone makes a request of you. And he says, many who speak about revolution are too cowardly to speak those words. To whoop up a crowd is one thing, and it's somewhat easy to do even without possessing any bravery. But to get into an honest conversation with another person, that's something entirely. That's another thing. It's far harder and yet far more protective of freedom. Personally, after that conversation, he says, with police officers about taking down the sign, if they said to me, I will issue a $45 fix-it ticket for political signage on public property. He says, I would happily accept that ticket in exchange for the ability to leave the sign up. Then I would happily fight the matter in court and in the media. But you can't have the opportunity to make those decisions if you don't stand up to authority just a few minutes longer and kindly ask questions like those to determine what the consequences of your actions are going to be. As uncomfortable as they may seem, those few minutes of honest conversation mean so much for freedom. And he points out, not every cop wants to write the ticket. They are doing their job, and maybe they actually agree with you. But if you keep calm and polite, there's a very good chance that officer is going to leave you alone rather than uh, make an example of you. I'll have a link to this in the show notes. There's a a final warning here that uh, that Alan Stevo offers, and, and this bears repeating. He says, ignore the hyenas and the sheep. Focus on the lions. It doesn't matter what the hyenas do. The Fauci's and Newsom's have existed in all eras. It doesn't matter what the sheep do. They too have long existed. It matters what lions like you do. When lions stand firm, a whole lot of things get better in life very quickly because the lions refuse to put up with nonsense. Check it out. It's linked in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, if you are wrong, think curious. My friend, you have found the right place. This is where you will find courage and camaraderie 
to claim your rights as a free individual. And you might find some good food for thought as well. Anyway, I'm glad you joined us today. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Well, I want to talk about Australia. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm picking on Australia. One of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons, back when The Simpsons were still funny, was how Bart managed to cause an international incident with Australia. And it was a pretty, it was a pretty good tongue-in-cheek poke at Australian culture. From Jocko, the uh, Energizer dude, oi! And, uh, I mean, it just, it was, it was very well done. But what I see coming out of Australia these days is, is very chilling in the sense that there are serious authoritarian lockdown measures being implemented in Australia and New Zealand, a perfect example of what a real-world dystopia looks like. And just a few of the things that I've seen in the last couple of days. Oh, my goodness. There was a, a police officer, uh, I, I guess he's a police chief, talking about how what they need to do is uh, the people need to understand that we will find you if you leave your homes. And I mean, they are locked down. They are like pets. Told you can only have an hour of exercise a day. You can travel no more than five kilometers from where you live. You cannot have people in your home who do not actually live in your home. I mean, this is just the tiniest tip of the iceberg of all these restrictions. But this is the story, and this is the thing that blew me away. I'm watching this police authority talk about how, well, uh, our officers uh, received information that uh, an individual, they went to check on an individual at a residence and found out that individual wasn't there. And while they waited around, the individual returned home in their automobile, and the police questioned him, why were you out? And this individual said, well, I just left to go for a short drive just to get some fresh air. They issue fines for somewhere between, I think it's $500 and $1,000, simply for a person going for a short drive. Why? Because we have locked down these health, these health protocols are in place, and if you violate them, they give them what's called a notice and fine. But the fines are getting expensive. $1,600 for this violation. You know, I mean, they're, they're meant to have some teeth. But what was so interesting was the, the police official talking as if, as if these people are, are three-year-old children. We will find out who you are. We will punish you. We will make sure that you obey. Do you know police are actually going around when they encounter people out in public? If you're wearing a Fitbit watch or an Apple watch or something like that, police are now checking those things to make sure you haven't traveled outside your bubble of what's allowed. I mean, on the one hand, I can understand people are afraid. COVID is scary. You know, I'm I like you. If somebody near me sneezes or coughs, you know, my first thought is, the Rona? <laughs> Sorry, but that's that's one of the first things that goes through my mind. Somebody gets a cold. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. Oh, do you have COVID? <laughs> we just asked that today. And it's probably because we're all just a little bit paranoid. But how can people consent to being treated like this? Just going outside for fresh air. Police can come into your home without a warrant. 
Basically, they have absolute authority. And, of course, if you've seen some of the different uh, videos coming out, people who got together and protested, wow. Here came the police on horseback, tear gas, rubber bullets, and something we're going to discuss a little bit later on in in this hour. Um, It's probably not by coincidence that Australia and New Zealand systematically disarmed as many of their citizens as possible more than two decades ago. So it's not like the people, if they were forced to, could even stand up for themselves at this point. The crazy thing is what's happening there can happen here. That's the direction that we're going. Australia is just a little bit further along on that authoritarian path headed for totalitarianism. But we're faithfully following along. At least American governance is following that path. And the first question I have for you is, how can people accept this? How can someone look at that, look at uh, the folks in Australia? I I saw another video the other day that just, oh, my word. I, I would be a dead man if I was in this situation. It was police and nurses taking a child, and we're talking probably a 10 or 11-year-old child, away from his parents so that that child could be vaccinated. Now, this was clearly against the child's will. On the one hand, you see the child break away. The the police are then suddenly wrestling with and fighting the parent into submission, while the nurses and another officer are chasing this child who's screaming, let me go, let me go. Like I say, I don't think I would survive an encounter like that. That's not bravado. That's just my sense of right and wrong cannot countenance somebody physically assaulting my child and forcing something on them that they absolutely do not want. How does it get to where people can accept that? Or, heaven forbid, somebody looks at that and sees it and says, oh, yeah, that's a good thing. Oh, that's that's totally acceptable because it's for the greater good. Got a great article here from Jim Bovard that reminds us that absolute power, which is what is being put in place in Australia, which is what I'm sure people are lusting to put in place here in America, it's still no COVID safety net. Jim Bovard says, since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, lockdown champions have perennially invoked science and data to sanctify any mandate politicians impose. Hard facts have recently shown that neither vaccines nor face masks provide surefire protection against the virus. But no amount of evidence has yet shaken faith in the magic of absolute power. COVID policies are increasingly degenerating to the equivalent of sacrificing virgins to appease angry viral gods. New Zealand on Tuesday imposed a nationwide lockdown in response to a single COVID case in the capital city. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern ordered her captive citizenry, do not congregate, don't talk to your neighbors, please keep to your bubble. And Ardern asserted that complying with these rules, making sure we do all we can to stamp it out, still remains the best strategy in the world right now. Now, Ardern did not deign to explain why almost no place else in the world, including places with vastly more COVID cases, sought to outlaw everyday conversations. He says in Australia, the military is patrolling city streets to enforce the latest lockdown. 
Daniel Andrews, the premier of the state of Victoria, recently decreed there will be no removal of masks to consume alcohol outdoors. One Aussie lamented, my business has been forcibly closed. Everyone has been sent home without pay. We are banned from leaving our homes except for the five reasons given by the government. Now, Bovard says there's no science to justify prohibiting Australians from going more than two miles from their home. But New Zealand and Australia presume that no one will be safe unless government officials have jurisdiction over every breath that citizens take. He's not exaggerating. In the United States, many of the same pundits and activists who howled about the evils of microaggressions are now cheering for the government to forcibly inject everyone with a COVID vaccine. Biden publicly declared that he's checking to see if he has the power to force everyone to get injected. Biden endorsed the vaccination passports that some cities have already imposed. Radio host Grant Stinchfield commented in Los Angeles, you can defecate on the street, shoot drugs in a crack tent on the sidewalk, and even steal anything less than 900 bucks. But now you have to show your papers to get into a restaurant or gym? New York City's passport regime effectively bans the majority of blacks from many activities of daily life, since they have a much lower vaccination rate than other groups. And far greater restrictions may be on the horizon. That's just sad. That is just sad. We're going to come back to this article from Jim Bovard here in just a few minutes, but if you haven't seriously considered where your line in the sand is, this would be a really good time maybe to get square on, you know, how much are you willing to take? And for some people who've never contemplated such a thing, maybe they think, I don't need a line in the sand. If I do what I'm told, I'm going to be just fine. Just remember, other people historically have felt that right up until the moment that they realized, hey, that's not water coming out of the shower. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for indulging in a little bit of wrong think. It's a daily occurrence, and frankly, I have to admit, it's probably habit forming. I feel better for having done it, and I encourage everybody around me, give it a try. You might just like it. Our program's brought to you in part by the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. I only mention them because right now there is one of the hottest real estate markets you have ever seen going on, particularly throughout the Intermountain West. And if you're one of the thousands of people relocating, particularly to the state of Utah, you need to know that the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage is there to help you with decades of experience. They know what the lenders need. They know what the borrowers need. But most importantly, Heather's the one you want on your side to make things happen when time is of the essence. From VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages, contact the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, an equal housing opportunity lender, NMLS ID 715-386. Their phone number is 435-703-4522. Their office is at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. So I'm sharing this article from Jim Bovard, one of my favorite commentators because the guy has been around Washington, D.C. for a while, I think has one of the clearest 
outlooks on how that system operates, how politicians think. And he's also one who doesn't sugarcoat or otherwise, you know, uh, soften uh, what, what truths he's sharing. He's a very reliable source. This is an article written for the American Institute for Economic Research. Absolute power is no COVID safety net. So you see what's happening in Australia and New Zealand. And you may shrug and think, well, well, sucks to be them. I'm glad that's not happening to us. But far greater restrictions may be on the horizon for us here in America. Bovard says the, the Associated Press reported the Biden administration is considering mandating vaccines for interstate travel. Hold up for just a second there. And I want you to think about what would that mean? Mandating vaccines for interstate travel, that would mean literal checkpoints. I assume militarized checkpoints at the state borders. Do you have your papers? Can you show your your vaccine passport before you can be allowed to cross state lines? And there are people who would think, no, this is good. This is necessary. This is what we need to do. Biden is apparently delaying any such decree until Americans were ready for the strong arming from the federal government. A former top Homeland Security official has called for placing anyone who is not fully vaccinated on the no-fly list, thereby expanding the list to scores of millions of people and creating new havoc for air travel. Biden administration officials have offered no evidence that such restrictions would end the pandemic, but it would permit the president to demonstrate the same machismo that President Nixon showed with his illegal invasion of Cambodia back in 1970. Jim Bovard says politicians' anti-COVID recommendations increasingly resemble frightened soldiers shooting at any noise they hear in the dark. National Institutes of Health, Institute of Health Director Francis Collins recently condemned the epidemic of misinformation, disinformation, distrust that is tearing us apart. But much of the misinformation has stemmed directly from the Biden administration's flip-flops and fear-mongering. Back on August 3rd, Collins announced during a CNN interview that parents of unvaccinated kids should wear masks in their own homes. He conceded, I know that's uncomfortable. I know it seems weird, but it is the best way to protect your kids. And then a few hours later, Collins recanted on Twitter, perhaps after other political appointees persuaded him to stop sounding like a blithering idiot. His point is COVID misinformation started at the top. In a CNN town hall last month, Biden declared, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Whoops. <laughs> ah, let's see how that squares with reality. The Biden administration officials kept repeating and reciting the pandemic of the unvaccinated refrain long after it became clear that vaccines were rapidly failing to prevent the spread of COVID. On August 8th, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky finally admitted what COVID vaccines can't do anymore is prevent transmission. And Jim Bovard says that's a hell of an asterisk, or asterisk rather. Prior to that, the Biden administration even refused to disclose the number of breakthrough infections that had occurred among White House staff. Professor Eric Topol complained that the CDC's false statements on COVID risks was blatant failure, putting millions of vaccinated Americans at unnecessary risk for breakthrough infections. 
Now, on Thursday, a front-page Washington Post article castigated the CDC for withholding COVID information from the public, noting that its overly rosy assessments of the vaccine's effectiveness against Delta may have lulled Americans into a false sense of security. Tom Frieden, former CDC director under Obama, suggested that the long delays in disclosure led some people to wonder if the CDC is hiding results. CDC Director Walensky responded to the debacle by promising to develop a new forecasting and outbreak analytics center to analyze data in real time. That's according to the Washington Post. The CDC apparently did not consider it worthwhile to spend any of its $8 billion annual budget on such a project. Now, the Biden administration has sought to blame the resurgence of COVID on scoff laws that did not submit to every revised command. The official enemies list has expanded from those not wearing a mask to those resisting getting vaccinated. And it will soon include those who balk at getting a third and fourth and fifth injection. The biggest expansion of the enemies list occurred on August 13th when the Department of Homeland Security issued a terrorist alert warning law enforcement agencies that anti-government, anti-authority, violent extremists could exploit potential reestablishment of public health restrictions across the United States as a rationale to conduct attacks. Anyone who loudly objects to being locked back under house arrest will be the moral equivalent of the Taliban or maybe Hezbollah. Previous federal drift nets for potential troublemakers expanded far beyond individuals who threatened violence. In fact, the feds may already be compiling vast lists of COVID critics that could come in handy at some future point. Let me just come right out and say, if I am not on one of those lists, I will be very disappointed. Because it's going to mean I haven't tried hard enough. Jim Bovard says, but at least government officials now recognize the real enemy. COVID czar Tony Fauci recently declared, I know people must like to have their individual freedom, but I think that we're in such a serious situation now that mandates should be done. What a polite way to say, screw your individual freedom, but hey, there it is. Fauci predicts that once the FDA rushes the formal approval of the COVID vaccines, there will be far more mandates imposed on Americans. The fact that the efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine has fallen to 42%, well, that's irrelevant. A vaccine isn't a failure as long as the government can force everyone to get additional injections. And the primary evidence for most COVID policies is the job title of the government official issuing the degree. The decree, rather. As University of California, San Francisco professor of medicine, Vinay Prasad, wrote last month, when it comes to non-pharmacologic interventions, such as mandatory business closures, mask mandates, and countless other interventions, the shocking conclusion of the last 18 months is this. We have learned next to nothing. Prasad slammed his colleagues for failing to do reliable research on key issues of the pandemic. Quote, anyone who considers themselves a scientist should be embarrassed by our collective failure to generate knowledge. And this failure is once again looming large. I got to pump the brakes here for just a moment, but I will tell you that I have a link to Jim Bovard's article in the show notes at the com. For those who want to take a little bit deeper dive and uh, and look into this themselves. I'm not asking you to take my word for anything. I'm not telling you you have to agree with me because you don't. But if you want to follow up 
These articles are a great way to go, and they are typically quite well-sourced and documented. Just a little more intellectual ammunition for your quiver if uh, you're looking to try to help uh, spread some truth and light. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I know I I feel sometimes like uh, I'm becoming a one-note symphony when it comes to sounding warnings like this. And, And I apologize, but... If I can just, you know, be very, very blunt, I almost feel a sense of calling to speak up as I do. And I don't mean that in the sense that I have the answers. God sent me to proclaim to you. I I just, let me see if I can explain it this way. And hopefully it doesn't sound too self-serving. I believe that uh, I have spent my life developing talents, abilities, passions, you know, I I found things that I think really resonate with me in the sense that I was born to do this. And I believe that uh, that God expects me to use those talents and use those skills that I've been able to develop for a high purpose, a good purpose, something positive. Now, that purpose is not to become very popular and accepted and loved by everyone and showered with money everywhere I go. I wish it were, but that's not what it is. <laughs> it's it's to bring as much truth and light into the situation as I can without additional anger or fear. So, I know I'm passionate about this. I know it's something I can't seem to let go. But I feel a very personal sense of calling to speak up. I know I'm not alone in this. There are other voices out there. I encourage you to listen to them as well. But ultimately... Your conscience has got to be the guide that dictates, you know, where you go and and what you embrace as true and what you reject as either incomplete or untrue or maybe even destructive. We're living through historic times. And that's exciting on the one hand. I I do believe that someday people are going to look back and they're going to be like, wow, you were there? What was it like? (laughs) This is assuming we all survive, right? But... uh, at the same time, my my son made the observation last week. We, you know, I said, "Kids, we're living through historic times." And my my twenty year old son said, "Well, that's neat, but I just wish it didn't suck so bad." <laughs> and I think, you know, I bet I bet other people who've lived through truly historic times, you know, have said the same thing. This is amazing. The world is changing in ways we never could have anticipated, and wow, does this suck? Well, I think this is a cyclical thing. I think this is something that uh, if you live long enough, you're going to live in interesting times. My friend, we are there. We're living in interesting times. And it's not so much about, uh, you know, the the idea here is you've got to survive at all costs. Whatever it takes to survive, that is the ultimate thing. I think it's more a matter of when really tough times come, when really pivotal historic times come. That's where we get to find out what we're made of. I know it sounds weird, but if you look at this as the opportunity of we have been handed the chance to become the best possible version of ourselves, to rise to the occasion. And that's a conscious choice. Not everybody's going to want to do it. 
But for those who do, I promise you this, you will make a difference and you'll make the kind of difference that only you can make. You will touch lives that nobody else can. And I don't care if your circle of influence is small or if it's very large. That's a noble thing. That is something that I believe is is worthwhile. Back to the article from uh, Jim Bovard. Absolute power is no COVID safety net. He says, uh, the primary evidence for most of the COVID policies we see is basically the job title of whoever's telling us this is what we have to do. And he says, for bureaucrats and politicians, gaining power and compelling submission are victory enough, even when their policies fail to vanquish a virus. Citizens are obliged to assume that government knows best, even when it knows little or nothing. People won't get infected as long as they're groveling to government commands, right? Well, unfortunately, the government has no liability for the injections it approves or the freedoms it destroys. He says, faith in absolute power is not science, regardless of how many scientists pledge allegiance to Washington in return for federal funding. As historian John M. Berry, author of The Great Influenza, observed, when you mix politics and science, you get politics. And Jim Bovard says there is no safety in submission to damn fools, regardless of their pompous titles. Isn't it interesting, you know, how often you'll see people flex, well, you know, my medical degree trumps your Google search. And I suppose on one level you could say, yeah, if I was going out there dispensing medical advice or trying to treat people without knowledge, yeah, that would likely be true. But when it comes to making decisions as to what is best for me and, for that matter, for my family and for my children who are under my stewardship, sorry, Doc, but I dang well know better than you as to what is the best choice for us. You may have medical knowledge on your side and where it's appropriate. We may actually apply your advice if it is in our best interest. But the only person qualified to decide what is in your best interest is you. Not your doctor, not some bureaucrat, not some one-size-fits-all, you know, policy written on this clipboard with which we will rule the world. But that's unfortunately the attitude that has been taken by a lot of folks. I know I keep talking about this line in the sand. And I know a lot of people who have discovered, man, my line in the sand because of how hard big governments and big business and various other entities have been pushing these vaccines, my line in the sand is absolutely a trench. And it's a well-fortified trench because I am not keen on being forced to do something against my will. If you can't persuade me, sticking a gun in my ribs is not likely to persuade me either. But there are a lot of folks who are still trying to evaluate, well, I don't know, is it time? I mean, this is scary stuff. And I admit it is. It's, it's, it's very unsettling to find yourself backed into a corner and told you're going to do this or else. Isn't it crazy that Delta Airlines would fine their employees $200 a month if they are unvaccinated? Given all the different diseases that have gone around, all the, you know, the flu season and so forth, why is this different? 
Why is it with a virus that has a 99.7 or 99.8 survival rate for most of the people who get it? Why is this so important that people do this, that we need to apply pressure in every aspect of their lives? I don't have a satisfactory answer for you. All I know is that we are in the middle of a test right now. The people who do not understand the principles and practices of freedom are very likely to fail this test simply because they're going to do whatever it takes to get that discomfort, that cognitive dissonance out of their lives and get that boot off the back of their neck. And what it means for people who do understand, hey, there are limits to what someone can demand of me. People who claim their rights, who use them and defend them. It means that uh, you and I are going to be pushed into the corner to the point where I don't know where this ends. Australia right now is very openly conducting the the construction of uh, what they call uh, quarantine facilities, containment facilities. They're camps. They are literally constructing camps for quarantining people who have to be kept there for their own safety. Look, the last time we had internment camps in uh, the U.S., at the time it seemed like a good idea, right? Well, we don't know about these Japanese Americans. Uh, We probably better put them in camps just in case. You know, we don't know. Their loyalty may be to the emperor, even though they are all living here for generations. Anybody who tells themselves it couldn't happen again, I'm sorry, but you're whistling past the graveyard. It can. It is happening. And if you are one of those people who has decided, look, I will not be pushed into a decision that I will, will that I don't want to make. I won't be forced to do something against my will. I wish I had better news for you, but all I can tell you is you better be prepared to suffer for your beliefs. Because we're going to be made examples of. And the lesson I draw from this is, oh, you know, it's not like, oh, it's hopeless. We're all going to we're all doomed, doomed, I tell you. How about this? It means that things are going to be tough and we are going to be tested. Just like other generations before us have found themselves in tough situations that tested them. It's never been more important for us to set aside the petty differences that may keep us, you know, apart from people who likewise are trying to make a stand similar to ours, but maybe they have slightly different beliefs or whatever. We've got to have each other's backs. We're already a minority, and I promise you that minority is going to be even smaller as the pressure mounts. So this would be a really good time to find out who are the people that you can trust. Who are the people you would trust with your life? Build those friendships. Build those networks. And let's be as prepared as we can for whatever's coming. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I feel like I ended that last segment on a really dramatic note. Should have been violins, right? (laughs) Okay, well, thanks for indulging me. By the way, our program is brought to you by 
lifesavingfood.com. There's a link in my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. If uh, you are thinking about uh, bolstering your food storage program, maybe even getting started on one, this is a great place to go. You don't have to buy a whole year's supply at once, but if you want to, that's available to you. You'll find a lot of smaller packages that make a lot of sense. And here's the best part. When you use the coupon code HYDE, H-Y-D-E, at checkout, you'll get a 10% discount on whatever you buy. That's a pretty sweet discount. It's really great food and comes with a 25-year shelf life. So there's some peace of mind for you right there. That would be money well spent because it's doubtful that food or gas or anything else is going to get cheaper, at least for the short term. Two quick articles here that I wanted to share in this final segment. Um, This first one, I know this is going to sound like gloating, but uh, isn't it interesting how even the mainstream media is now asking big questions about the COVID vaccines. I mean, I know we're supposed to believe, well, the vaccine's the answer to beating the virus. That's why we have to force everybody to take the vaccine. But that narrative isn't exactly squaring with reality right now. Tyler Durden from Zero Hedge documents how the mainstream media is finally starting to wake up to this. In fact, uh, Tyler says, hey, former Congressman Ron Paul highlighted this week that a handful of mainstream media articles have actually begun to break ranks in terms of questioning key aspects of vaccine effectiveness and mandates, particularly when it comes to the controversial boosters now being widely proposed. Wednesday's Liberty Report from Ron Paul says even mainstream media is now asking big questions about the vaccines. A couple of recent headlines in Bloomberg and the BBC were expected, were unexpected rather in terms of the criticism reflected and somewhat skeptical pushback against the consensus narrative. Here's how the very unexpected Bloomberg article, which was published this past weekend, began. Quote, anecdotes tell us what the data can't. Vaccinated people appear to be getting the coronavirus at a surprisingly high rate. But exactly how often isn't clear. Nor is it certain how likely they are to spread the virus to others. Though it is evident vaccination still provides powerful protection against the virus, there's growing concern that vaccinated people may be more vulnerable to serious illness than previously thought. And that same day, there was a BBC headline, Is Catching COVID Now Better Than More Vaccine? That story began with, quote, It is now a serious question that has implications for whether children should ever be vaccinated and whether we use the virus or booster shots to top up immunity in adults. Both have become contentious issues. We could be digging ourselves into a hole for a very long time where we think we can only keep COVID away by boosting every year. That's Professor Eleanor Riley, an immunologist from the University of Edinburgh. Now, just a month ago, these kind of statements found in a couple of mainstream media articles would possibly get a person suspended from Facebook or Twitter. But now they just underscore how experimental the whole scenario is, despite governments in a number of places now mandating COVID vaccines. With boosters just around the corner and already being implemented in some places, with Israel previously being the first on a mass scale. I mean, soon we could see health officials pushing a second booster, a third, and so on. And so it goes. This was an interesting tweet from an individual who says, uh, it's, it's quoting Israel and Israel's prime minister who says, people who receive two vaccine shots walk around feeling like they are protected. They don't understand that the second vaccine has faded against the Delta. They must quickly get vaccinated with the third dose. 
And this person, uh, Kavork Almasian, says, I can't wait for triple vaxxers to be pissed at the double vaxxers. That's just kind of how we're being played against each other. Even the Daily Beast, which has spent, spent much of the pandemic shaming the vaccine hesitant, is now admitting that ultra-vaxxed Israel is now seeing the numbers of infections skyrocket. They quote Dr. Salman Zarka, who's the COVID-19 czar for Israel. I don't want to frighten you, he told the Israeli parliament, but this is the data. Unfortunately, the numbers don't lie. The massive surge of infections in ultra-vaxxed Israel is pointing to a complicated path ahead. And Tyler Durden says it appears that some in the media are actually beginning to acknowledge the rush for boosters is far too premature and far too little is yet known. I think the the thing that somebody pointed out yesterday on Twitter that uh, that really made me stop and think was if you take the vaccine and if you have to have, you know, a second dose in order to make yourself fully vaccinated, now you need a booster in order to be fully vaccinated. Not only does this give uh, credence and leverage to those who wish to use vaccine passports, which constantly have to be updated and you constantly have to have with you papers, please, you know, to, to be able to enter businesses or travel or anything like that. But in essence, what you are doing now is turning your immune system into a subscription service for which you will pay every six months or every year to get the update that you need. Maybe I could liken it to something else. I hate Windows updates. Every time I see there's a Windows update for my computer, I'm like, oh, crap, this is the worst thing ever. Because it always comes with with extras. Something gets screwed up. This setting or that setting suddenly changes, and I'm just like, Windows! I so dislike that Windows update. But if I want my computer to keep working, kind of have to do it. Now imagine that with your immune system and these vaccine boosters. I'm not saying you shouldn't get the vaccine. I'm just saying there are some very legit questions that should be taken into account. And if a person says, yeah, this doesn't make sense for me, then respect it. Move on with your own life, you know, tend to your own knitting and leave other people alone. But that's a pretty tall order. There aren't a lot of people who are really willing to to abide by that. Like I say, you've got to, you've got to know what your line in the sand is. And it looks like life is about to get pretty challenging for people who are vaccine hesitant. But it's not because they're stupid and it's not because some conspiracy theory has is, is, uh, taken hold of their mind and they just can't see that this is the best thing to do. That's why I stand with them. This is about more than just, you know, stopping this, this virus or avoiding getting sick as if that's the only reason we live is to avoid getting this virus. I won't stop living my life. I won't live in fear, and I certainly won't hand over my autonomy and my decision-making to someone who says, hey, you can trust me. I've got your best interests in mind. No, you don't. As a bonus, I'm also going to include an article from J.D. Tusil from Reason.com as I reflect on on, uh, Australia rather and New Zealand. One of the reasons that I see them being locked into this uh, little proto-police state that's developing there is they were disarmed by law about two decades ago. 
And they fought it and they fought it, but uh, ultimately most gun owners turned in their guns and watched them chopped up and melted down and ground up. But they have allowed themselves to be disarmed. I don't think you're going to see a similar response here in America, but I promise you we are going to see calls for general disarmament of the American public. And it's probably going to come when somebody... You know, somebody twists off and says, not only are you not going to vaccinate me, but I'll go out in a blaze of gunfire if you try to do it by force. Well, see, folks, we have to do this now. We we don't have any choice, but we've got to take the guns away from people. Otherwise, they might use their guns to resist the vaccine. Oh, wouldn't that be a shame? J.D. Tusseel has a great column about how don't be surprised if gun owners don't comply with gun control laws. And his point is just simply this. This is not chest-beating bravado. Getting a law passed is not the same thing as getting people to obey. Someone posed the question on Twitter yesterday, what will you do if they pass vaccine mandates? And my answer was just simply, I will continue to make the decisions about what is in my best interest, just like I always do. I like how my friend Ken McManigal uh, answered it, though. He said, I will continue to be an outlaw. And I know for some people that's got to sound provocative. Ooh, an outlaw. But if you are serious about being free, at some level you've got to be comfortable with the idea that you are going to have to live as an outlaw. Now, that doesn't mean you go around robbing stagecoaches and otherwise victimizing other people. It just means you've got to be the right kind of outlaw, the one who decides for yourself if you will comply with a given law or policy or not. Believe it or not, no is the most powerful word in the English language. It's also one of the most underused. But if you're serious about maintaining your autonomy, you better get some practice in uh, slinging that word, no. Bureaucrats won't like it, but that's, uh, that's their problem, not yours. This is The Brian Hyde Show.